Welcome, this is uh, Michael Volkoff, and this is Episode 5 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is an interview of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Our podcast is sponsored by my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, and is a companion to our blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Well, today is a big day for me. I'm proud to introduce our first guest on the Corruption, Crime, and Compliance podcast, Tom Fox. Tom is the compliance evangelist and probably the most widely read, listened to, and followed compliance professional and compliance journalist. Uh, Tom is an inspiration to many in this field, including me, and and helped to guide me in, in blog writing and many other ventures and has always been an available person willing to advise and guide those interested in compliance and writing about compliance. Tom is the author of the FCPA Compliance and Ethics Report, his popular blog, numerous podcast series in the the compliance space, numerous books, which would take me 20 minutes to introduce and list, and a guest contributor to the FCCE magazine and many other publications I'm honored to have Tom on the show. Tom, welcome. It's great to have you. Mike, thanks, and I'm really uh, thrilled that you finally have uh, taken the cast plunge. Well, it took me a while. Uh, Tom, uh, if nobody knows the background here, but Tom, number one, told me to get out of big law and start to practice for myself, which I did. And number two, he told me to start a podcast after I had my blog going for a while. So, Tom... Uh, I appreciate all your advice. I just want to know who's going to win the World Series this year or whatever, because uh, I, I may lay a bet on it if you think they're going to win. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll keep that um, in mind. Tom, uh, so you always, and I've spoken with you at numerous opportunities and conferences and whatever, you always refer to yourself as uh, a recovering litigator. And uh, what I think would be interesting for listeners to hear about is your professional background and sort of how did you end up in the compliance field at such a young age? Well, I'm going to particularly accept the young part um, <laughs> since uh, I'm actually older than you, Mike. The, right, uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, so my... Um, Journey to compliance, I think, actually mirrors a lot of us, including yourself, Mike. I was uh, in uh, private practice for 20 years, always on the civil side of things. I was a trial lawyer, tried cases uh, all across Texas, um, almost always on the defense side, representing corporations, personal injury, uh, catastrophic plant explosions, contract disputes, oil and gas leases, uh, royalty cases, right-of-way cases, you name the case, um, uh, have gun, will travel. Uh, so I did that for about 20 years, and then I went into the in-house world, and I started with Halliburton. In um, I wanted to, I just burned out of being a trial lawyer, and I wanted to go uh, do something different. So I did commercial transactions at Halliburton, and uh, literally as or uh, Halliburton's a worldwide oil field service company, and uh, did literally contracts on every continent except Antarctica. 
got to travel all over the world, got to live in Dubai, um, had great fun. Uh, and I was able to parlay that uh, position at Halliburton into an, a general counsel position at another oil field service company. And that company was called or is called ABLE. And I was a general counsel of their American or U.S. subsidiary called Drilling Controls. ABLE, for those uh, FCPA geeks out there, uh, in 2007 had the largest FCPA fine in the history of the world ever, $27 million. And, wow. Uh, $27 million, and that was the record? That was the record. Uh, we were. Uh, that's why we appreciated Baker Hughes so much, because Baker Hughes eclipsed us six months later with $44 million. So I don't wow. think either of those make the top 20 anymore. Uh, but anyway, uh, Abel was a, a Norwegian uh, company, and they were under a monitorship and a deferred prosecution agreement. And I was <clears throat> I came on board after everything had been resolved, and I was part of the initial implementation team um, for uh, a compliance program. And from that experience, I learned how to design, create, implement a best practices compliance program. I did wrote uh, policies, procedures, did training, did investigations, worked with the monitor, worked for the monitor, worked under the monitor. Um, it's a, a very intense learning experience, and that was really how I learned the nuts and bolts of compliance. From there, I um, decided what I really wanted to do with my life was uh, race bicycles. So I went off on this great uh, journey and adventure racing bicycles. Um and I did that for about a year until uh, on a training ride at a bicycle Hummer event where I was the bicycle. And uh, oh. so I had um, I was relatively lucky. Uh, my worst injury was a double fractured left leg, but it definitely ended my cycling career. And so I was after convalescing for a while uh, when I had enough energy to get on my walker and toddle into my office. <laughs> I decided I was going to have to start practicing law again, and uh, I decided to focus on what I'd learned at ABLE or at and Drilling Controls, which was the nuts and bolts of compliance, but inside of a corporation. So this is 2010, and there were really very few lawyers who they, – they generally did what you did, Mike. They uh, did investigations, uh, they gave advice, or they negotiated with the government. And uh, but right. very few had uh, experience in designing, creating, implementing uh, best practices compliance programs. So that's how I got into the field. And uh, because of the condition I was in at the time I started, which was uh, on a walker uh, laid up with a double fractured left leg, I really couldn't go anywhere and I couldn't do anything other than toddle into my office. So I started exploring the world of social media, started a blog, started tweeting, started a Facebook page, LinkedIn, uh, started doing webinars from home. Um, so I learned all about utilizing social media as a marketing tool. And that's kind of what started started me off on the road that uh, led to you and I talking today. Tom, let's take a let's take a step back because I love your title, uh, the compliance evangelist, and I see that you've you know adopted it sort of um, uh, you know in, in your social media. And so, tell us about sort of how and why you adopted this title, and and what what's your hope in communicating this? Sure, Mike. So one of the things that uh, struck me about compliance is that um, I see compliance as a business solution to a legal problem. 
And one of your great mentors, Judge Sporkin, uh, obviously was one of the key um, founders of the FCPA. And he right. saw a problem and he's articulated what that problem was. It's, you know, well-known U.S. companies were engaging in bribery and corruption. So he and others uh, wrote the FCPA and put that into place. And so we had this law in 1977 that companies had had to follow. And by the time um, I came to Drilling Controls Enable in 2007, we were really into the modern era of FCPA enforcement and just on the on the cusp of the explosion in uh, growth uh, or explosion in enforcement it started a little bit before that but then Baker Hughes and you know you name the company that that went through an enforcement action after that time Mark Mendelson really ramped up the uh, FCPA unit in the fraud section and and they were just uh, going with lots of different uh, enforcement actions and what I saw as was that compliance was actually a business response to the legal problem that the FCPA uh, put in place, the, the law, and that if you did compliance, it would make you a better company. I saw that uh, a little bit at Halliburton. I saw that uh, much more so at Able and Drilling Controls. Uh, but then I began to see that uh, because so many companies in Houston had gone through either an enforcement action or at least an investigation, Houston being the epicenter of FCPA enforcement in the world, um, if you wanted to do business in Houston, you had to have a compliance program. And, and I give the following example, uh, because I represented this company. They were a $15 million software company, and they had one piece of software that bolted onto something that did something downhole. And they were too small to have their own sales force. Uh, they just were developers and some execs. And I told them, if you want to do business in Houston with the oil and gas industry, you're going to have to have a compliance program, and we're going to have to do due diligence and train up these agents. And I finally convinced them to do it. And literally two weeks later, a major oil field service company came and wanted to do an equity investment. And uh, the second thing they asked for after the financials were, the compliance program and the due diligence files on all the agents, which I just completed. And that's when it really struck me that if you want to do business, you're going to have to have a compliance program and they're going to check your compliance program. And then it became, well, I only want to do business with people above me that have compliance programs. So the business response to the legal problem created by the FCPA or the legal obligation is what really struck me. And when I decided to moniker myself the compliance evangelist, uh, it's because I see compliance as a business solution to a legal problem. And that's what I really want to advocate, that there are business solutions and you don't have to have just a legal solution. And when you have a business solution that en encapsulates the response to the legal problem and actually incorporates business processes which make you more efficient, at the end of the day, more profitable, I think that's exactly what businesses want. And that's what I want to evangelize about. Uh, okay, let's turn to a couple of other interesting things, Tom, that you're, you're working on. Uh, and one is the Definitive Compliance Handbook, uh, which I would love to hear more about, and I'm hope, hopeful to get a spot in it. And uh, and another place that I'd love to get a spot in is your your work on a compliance podcast network, which I think is terrific. So if you can sort of tell people what's going on with that, 
and how they can sort of interact with you on it or if they have some ideas on it. Sure. So one of the things I'd uh, wanted to do, Mike, was put together the, uh, the definitive compliance handbook. So I basically decided to write that this year. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm writing it around uh, 12 separate chapters, uh, one chapter a month. And I'm uh, also wrapping it into a podcast series. So I'm doing a 12-month podcast series uh, dedicated uh, one month to an effective compliance program. Each month I take on a different topic in um, uh, I've looked at uh, HR and compliance, board of directors, internal controls, investigations, innovation and compliance, continuous improvement, uh, third parties. I'm going to take a look at uh, mergers, acquisitions and business ventures. Uh, I'm going to take a look at operationalization and compliance policies and procedures and 360 degrees of communication or 360 degree view of communications. So um, I'm very excited about this. Compliance Week has agreed to publish uh, the book. It should be out hopefully in Q1 of uh, 2018. I've had a lot of fun writing it. As with all of the projects I have engaged in, um, I've learned as much, uh, you know, as anybody just doing the research for it. So that's been great, and I'm really looking forward to uh, getting that out and uh, being able to have that available for the compliance practitioner going forward. Uh, the other thing I've started this year, Mike, is uh, Compliance Podcast Network. I have the largest social media presence, unaffiliated social media presence in compliance. I have uh, eight podcasts that I do on a rotating basis. Wow. I do a daily podcast on the um, the one-month series. I'm just finishing up uh, in the month of September, um, Innovation and Compliance, and that was sponsored by Oversight Systems. The um, uh, I have the FCPA Compliance Report, which is my signature and oldest report, um, podcast report. I have the Everything Compliance, which you're a part of. That is the only roundtable podcasting compliance where we have four compliance professionals literally across the globe, and we take on some topics. Matt Kelly and I do a podcast called Compliance Into the Weeds, where we literally geek out on some compliance or compliance-related topic, RevRec, uh, due diligence, COSO, uh, just really go into the weeds, do a lot of technology. Uh, Jay Rosen and I do a weekly wrap-up called This Week in FCPA. Jay and I wrap this uh, today's episode, episode 69. That went up today a little wow. bit earlier. I do an international edition, Compliance Report International Edition, where I talk to a uh, compliance practitioner from outside the United States. I, my latest podcast is the um, – Across the Board, which is a board-level podcast focused on strategic risk management at the board level. I had thought that uh, I was going to focus on the topics for the board, but I had so many people uh, contact me and basically say, look, we report to the board. Can you tell us through your podcast what um, – to uh, what to tell the board. So I've kind of expanded that out. And then finally, I have a podcast on business leadership called 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. On that podcast, it's the only one where I'm hosted by uh, a friend, a colleague, Richard Lummis, who is a uh, historian. And we take a look at history, current events, uh, academic research. Richard's been a serial entrepreneur, so we talk about his experiences. But it's all around business leadership. So uh, I've wow. really learned a lot from the podcast network. Um, the numbers I get on social media are just, uh, I think, outstanding. And people are moving towards podcasts. They want to digest information in that way. So I do both uh, interview formats. 
and uh, I do some solo uh, podcast. We obviously have our roundtable podcast. Uh, so I try to give a wide variety of uh, topics, techniques, and styles for uh, the, the different listeners. And all of these are available on your website, the FCPA uh, website, because I see um, a lot of these uh, are. Or does this also go to your uh, consulting um, website as well? Right. So the they're all available for free on my social media website. The social media website is www.fcpacompliancereport.com. They're also cross-posted mm-hmm. on multiple other sites, and those sites include uh, YouTube, I have my own YouTube site, Liz Libson, uh, podcasting site, iTunes. They're all available on iTunes. Uh, then uh, JD Supra as well. <clears throat> so whatever platform you're on, there's a way for you to get the uh, information and digest it going forward. Wow, fantastic, Tom. That's terrific. It's amazing work. Where do you see sort of the challenges and the future of compliance Sure, Mike. And here I'd really like to give a tip of the compliance hat to Wei Chin, because I think uh, really as much as anyone, Wei Chin has elevated the compliance profession, the compliance professional, and the CCO. And, and let me see if I can unpack that a little bit. Obviously, uh, or, or I assume most people would know she was the <clears throat> in-house compliance counsel at the Department of Justice from late 2015 up until June. And if you talk to anyone who was in an enforcement action and went before her, uh, they will tell you that it didn't really matter what they brought to the table in terms of description of their policy. She wanted to know what data did they have to back up what they were saying. It was show me the data, but it didn't stop there, Mike. It went to now, how did you use that data in a feedback loop or feed it back to loop back into your compliance program to improve it. And then what's your evidence that you improved it? So she she really focused on the process of compliance. And it's not a, it's not a static process. It's a dynamic process. It's an ongoing um, process where you're continually updating. You're continually getting new information. And it really emphasized the business process nature of it. I would call that doing compliance. Department of Justice says that's operationalizing compliance. And that's exactly where I wanted the compliance profession to go. But she also elevated the role, Mike, I think, of the chief compliance officer. Because I think before she came on board many times, certainly in in early in my career, particularly uh, in the ABLE days, when a company was under a FCPA investigation and they would <clears throat> meet with the government, it was largely outside counsel who met with the government. And they would say, we've done this and we've done that and negotiate a settlement. But it really wasn't the chief compliance officer meeting with the government, articulating uh, what their program was. And Wei Chen wanted the chief compliance officer at the table because she wanted to question that person. And she wanted to know, you know, what have you done? Show me what you've done. Show me the data. Show me how you've used that data and show me how you've uh, improved your program based upon the feedback you got from that initial set of data and how it's ongoing on a continuous basis. I think that has also elevated the chief compliance officer role. And now when uh, a company um, may have to go through one of these um, 
in, uh, investigations and indeed an entire enfor- enfor- uh, enforcement action, they're going to look to someone who can make those articulations to the government as a corporate officer with the authority of the corporation and also with the resources to do it. So uh, I'd really, uh, you know, it was obviously a, a movement much broader than her. It was people like me thinking about it. It was certainly people like uh, Mark Mendelson, Chuck DeRoss, Pat Stokes, um, and currently Dan Kahn heading the FCPA unit, moving in that direction. But I would really see it, saw it all come together and heard of people who went in front of Wei Chen and the way it sort of came together to me where the chief compliance officer was talking about the business process of compliance. So when I'm on the outside talking about a business solution to compliance, what I heard them say Wei Chen was asking them is, what is your business process to this legal problem you're in? Well, anyways, Tom, you know what? The, this, the time went by fast. It was a lot of fun, as always, to talk to you uh, in any context, and it's always a pleasure. Um, and before we sign off, you want to tell people uh, how to get in contact with you if they need to talk to you about anything in the compliance field or business process. So also, Mike, I have two and a half tons of compliance and compliance-related material, and my philosophies I will share with anybody, anytime, for any reason. So you can email me at tfox, T-F-O-X, at tfoxlaw.com. My social media site, once again, is www.fcpacompliancereport.com, and uh, check it out and follow me. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Tom Fox. Please uh, subscribe to our podcast series. I can be reached at any time at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com or call me on my cell phone, 240-505-1992. My law firm blog is at www.volkofflaw.com. And please subscribe to the companion blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. The Volkoff Law Group provides enforcement defense services for companies and individuals under investigation or for criminal trials. We've represented companies and individuals before the Justice Department, U.S. Attorney's Offices, and the Securities and Exchange Commission in white-collar matters, including antitrust issues, fraud, FCPA, False Claims Act, and other issues. We invite you to join us for our next episode, episode six, on building a compliance program.